On the line now is Jim Henderson of Aristotle, joining me from the United States. Aristotle had been managing the North American Fund since 2011. Hello, Jim. It's good to speak to you again. Thank you. It's good to be here, Chris. Now, Jim, the debate about when the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates is a keen one. It will be interesting to understand your views and how the fund is positioned for when interest rates ultimately do rise. Well, that debate has been going on for several months now, and and I think if we were to go back in history six months, I think all of us would have expected to see the first tick up in interest rates happen before now. The Federal Reserve has done, I think, a pretty good job of tipping their hand in in terms of what their feelings are for when that first inevitable uh, rate hike will be. You go back a few months and and, uh, Janet Yellen said, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, that the decision would be data dependent and that it would be taken on a meeting-by-meeting basis. And remember, the data that they're talking about is the Federal Reserve is charged with the responsibility of really monitoring two aspects of of the U.S. economy. That is the inflation rate and the labor market. And they have a a new lowered expectation for inflation at around 2% and a robust labor market, none of which are being met right now, which is one of the reasons why that first tick up in interest rates has taken so long. I went back and looked at when the first tick up in interest rates happen after the economy starts to improve and, and you have a recovery in the U.S. economy. Now, remember, we're seven years into that economic recovery. So looking back in history to find what happens when there's a first uptick in interest rates after seven years, there is no precedence for that. But nevertheless, even in the past couple of days, Janet Yellen has been saying that it's probably quite likely that there will be an interest rate increase this year. Yeah, and and they've said that before. I mean, yeah, she did uh, do a a very long speech yesterday that talked about that. I think what she's trying to do at that that point is – to really calm the markets because without that interest rate increase, you know, over the last meeting, I think the market has taken a look at that and said, well, things aren't as good as we had hoped they were. So I think what Janet Yellen attempted to do yesterday was allay the fears in the market that, yeah, things aren't quite that bad and we expect an, an uptick in interest rates, you know, very shortly. From our perspective in looking at the fund, um, it's a double-edged sword. I think a lot of the financial holdings that we have should see their net interest margins increase as interest rates start to improve or tick up over the next several quarters. So those those businesses should see their earnings increase. And, and secondarily, you know, our philosophy in in uncovering what we think are outstanding businesses, those businesses tend to be more self-funding. In other words, they carry less debt than than many other businesses. So an uptick in interest rates isn't necessarily a bad thing for the fund. And if you're buying new ideas, Jim, clearly you've got to get rid of some some older ideas. And and I noticed that whilst your holdings in healthcare have generated impressive returns, you've actually been selling a couple of your positions and one most notably Hospira. Perhaps you could explain the reasons behind that. Yeah, Chris, we actually sold Hospira twice over the last 18 months. It's an interesting story and I think really is indicative of what our our philosophy is. We had owned Hospira, which if you're not familiar with Hospira, it's a generic injectable pharmaceutical business that has medical or, or drug delivery systems. And then they have a small division called Biosimilars, which is basically a generic manufacturer of, of biopharma products. We bought the company, gosh, 18 months ago, I guess, maybe two years. We liked the business. 
We liked the quality of the business. They'd brought in new management, a gentleman by the name of Mike Ball, who I'd known very well for a number of years, uh, who came from Allergan and uh, was very successful there. Long story short, shortly thereafter, they ran into some quality and manufacturing issues in their generic injectable division. Some would argue that the quality issues that they had were the result of the regulators having a larger budget, and whenever regulators have a larger budget, they're apt to be more active, and they were. We looked at it and decided that the issues that they were faced with were more binary in nature, meaning either they were going to have a problem or they weren't. And in our opinion, when you have a binary event like that that's unanalyzable, we went ahead and sold the company. We sat on the sidelines, continued to watch it very, very closely, and as those quality issues were starting to clear up, we went ahead and repurchased it. And it was only a matter of a couple of months. We repurchased the business because we felt like the uh, intrinsic business value was substantially higher than what it was trading for and minus those kind of quality issues uh, that the company had a bright future. And Fortunately for us, Pfizer seemed to agree because shortly thereafter, within a matter of a couple of months, Pfizer went and made an independent bid for the company right at about, interestingly enough, what our appraisal of the business value was. So we went ahead and liquidated the position. Now, a lot of people say that it's incredibly difficult for fund managers to beat the S&P 500. What do you think is the, the, the key elements of the process that you and Howard and the other members of the Aristotle team have that differentiates you from the, the average in the pack? It really is the fundamental nature of our philosophy and that our analytical team spends 95% of their time when they come into the office every day to understand the businesses that we own better on an incremental basis every day, understanding what those business models are, what is really the definition of a superior business model, owning a business that we think that over three to five to seven to ten years can be successful regardless of what the markets are doing and to some extent economic cyclicality, these businesses can do very, very well over time. So if you look at the fact, and you mentioned that we've been able to outperform the S&P over short and long-term periods, it's predominantly found in the stock picking ability. Our sector concentrations are really a byproduct of that bottom-up philosophy. So when you think about what I said about Hospira and understanding what that business value is, we have a story like that for the other 39 holdings that are in the portfolio that we think will be successful as well. So, as ever, there's no substitute for hard work and endeavour in terms of finding out what is driving the potential future opportunity for companies. Correct. Jim, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.